0: Now, all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to
1: Carolina Newsmakers. And today we're going to be talking about education, and we're going to be talking to Brenda Berg, who's been on our program a number of times. She's the president and CEO of Best NC, which is an advocacy organization, which was formed by a number of business and civic leaders across the state of North Carolina. It's a nonprofit, nonpartisan coalition of business leaders. Who are committed to improving North Carolina's public education system through policy and advocacy. And they have uh, just done a marvelous job there. And the, how long has this been going on, Brent? I forgot now. Four about or five, five years. Five years, mm-hmm. yeah. And they said she couldn't keep a job. So, <laughs> I'm proud of you. Thank you. Uh, but there are a number of things that uh, they're working on and concerned with. And uh, I, the thing that I've always enjoyed about them is they always uh, celebrate uh the uh, the achievements and yet they also at the same time look ahead and say okay what else can we do you know once we get this particular step in our journey done then there's another step down the road and so uh, brenda let's just sort of uh, since you were on the program last time let's let's talk about what you've been doing uh, and what the organization's been doing during that interim
2: Well, we've been very busy, and the timing's great, because just this week, we launched a statewide initiative called uh, Teach NC to help recruit teachers into the profession. We have a lot of critical vacancies across the state, Um, and the timing for this makes perfect sense because we've spent the last couple of years trying to help uplift the experience of being a teacher, helping create better pathways for principals, for school leadership, for teacher leadership opportunities, so retention is, is equally important to fill the vacancies, having a, an initiative where we can really lift up the teaching profession and provide uh, very clear pathways into the profession is, is exciting, so teachnc.org launched just this week.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting, North Carolina, as we've uh, talked about numerous times on this program, is an interesting state in the sense that we have the very fast-growing areas like Raleigh-Durham and Greensboro and Charlotte, Greenville, Wilmington, Nashville, and then we have some eighty counties uh, thereabout that are actually either uh, losing population or standing pat, and some of those counties are very small, so it's very difficult for them to have a um, a great school system. We have one county that has, I think, less than five thousand people in it. That's right. And so my church has five thousand members <laughs> in Raleigh. So uh, so. Uh, I would guess that one of the big challenges you have is finding school teachers in particular fields for those school systems that are small and in isolated areas.
2: That's right, rural areas, urban schools, uh, Title I schools, but specifically STEM and special education statewide. Uh, About 50% of our high school students actually don't have a fully licensed math teacher, so they're being taught by a persistent substitute often happens in these rural communities. A a recent example, we've been looking at Robeson County, and they report having, I I wanna say 190 positions that they frankly don't need. They have extra PE teachers, for example, but they have over 100 positions that are vacant. So they have enough teachers, but they don't have enough of the right teachers. And I think that's a great example of what's really happening statewide, is we have a lot of people who want to teach, but we need to do something different to get them into those hard-to-staff schools and subjects.
1: Well, one of the things that, uh, uh, particularly in the STEM area, of course, most of the uh, graduates of colleges that are in the STEM courses, the science courses, the math courses, the technology courses and such, uh, they look at uh, job opportunities and they can make more money and in many cases satisfy their professional desires better in the public sector than in teaching.
2: That's exactly right.
1: So that's a problem. Yeah, that's okay, right. so here's, here's something I've always wanted to ask. In colleges, Uh, universities a lot of them use ad hoc professors adjunct I'm sorry ad hoc but I guess they're also (laughs) ad hoc but adjunct professors to come in and uh, one they're they're taught by the course but they fill in gaps where the university or college may have an opening have have we ever had any effort to do the same in Uh, communities that uh, are looking for math teachers where you bring in a teacher to teach one course a day or two courses a day?
2: We do, and I think our best example of that is you can be a CTE course teacher in your field of expertise. So it could be um, economics or um, uh, welding or something that's specific to your field. Um, There's been a conversation about having community college math teachers, for example, come into high schools. The fact of the matter is our community college Teachers are not taught very well, or not paid very well either, and so they're having vacancy issues as well. I think for, for me, the biggest concern is, is we, um, there is the, the knowledge that you need to be a teacher, but there's also the skill to be a teacher. If, if it were that easy, we would we would have 100% of our third graders reading by the end of third grade, but it's, it's, it's a very difficult profession. And so pairing up people who really do understand math with the talent to actually run a classroom to have that multitasking skill and understand, um, you know, discipline and p- course planning, it, it's really not as easy as just taking somebody who knows how to add and put them in the classroom. So it's a, it has to be the right balance between finding people who have the skill within their field, but also the talent as a teacher.
1: That's an interesting uh, observation. So of those two, of those two, mm-hmm. of knowledge of the of the particular field and the skills of teaching, which one do you think is more important? You're
2: going to put me on the spot here. I think it de- the answer would say it depends. It would be sort of like asking me about class size. It depends on the teacher. It depends on the subject taught. But um, obviously, if you're talking about physics, you really have to understand physics to get students to be excited about it. There are um, great examples of elementary school teachers who maybe don't know the, the history content that they're teaching, but they're just really inspiring teachers. So it really depends on the level taught.
1: Well, I've talked to a number of, uh, of uh, Got uh, uh, admissions directors at various and sundry colleges and universities through the state. I participated in a seminar on that. And almost all of them said the same thing about school systems, which I thought was interesting. And they said that the very top students, there's very little difference from a, very, uh, a school system that may be challenged and a school system that has an extracurriculum. The, the top students always end up finding a way uh, to guide their course. Uh, do you find that?
2: Well, there are. There's. Um, I hear. I hear both. I actually have had really important conversations with students who have been in uh, low-performing schools, but the top of their class, and really felt like they weren't as ready for college as they had been promised that they were. So we do know that there's um, a great inflation aspect of of lowering the bar in certain certain places. And so if you come into, say, at Chapel Hill and you've been always told that you're number one in your class, but you really haven't had the same exposure that a student at, say, a, a magnet school in, in Wake County had, um, it's, it's, you're not going to be as ready. What, what I think those students do have that probably excels beyond their peers is grit, right? Yep. These, are, these are kids who have grit and tenacity and they, they've achieved it kind of against all yep. odds, so that can even the playing field.
1: Well, they were all universal in the same comment that after you got by the very top students, right. there was a decisive difference between the preparation and the better, so-called better high schools, the more complete high schools, and the smaller high schools. But they said the very tip-top, uh, maybe the top five or six students, uh, they all seem to find a way, and you the term grit, I think that's the difference, mm-hmm. they, they find a way. So um, I came from a very small high school, and then we've gone through this period of time where uh, either through necessity or through, uh, I think, actual uh, thinking that it was the best way to go, uh, we have gone from a, a situation where we had a lot of small high schools to very large high schools now. Okay, so I'm going to put you on the spot again. Is there a difference between the education that you get in a very small high school with maybe 12, 14 teachers, maybe 18, 20, and a very large high school where you have a lot of offerings but, and lots more teachers and lots more students.
2: There was a big push maybe about a decade ago, particularly from the Gates Foundation, to make small high schools. There was a belief that smaller high schools would be better for students. And, uh, several, you know, of course, it's it takes time to see if whether or not that really works, but after about five or so years, they determined that it wasn't really a universal truism that small schools were better. Um, what what I, th- I think, we're, we're finding the balance is, as schools within certain schools, if you have various opportunities within a school where you're really getting um, opportunities for technical classes, CTE classes, AP classes, all within one school, um, students have more opportunities, but still keeping some sort of feeling of 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 cohortness within the school so i think what we're seeing is is a balance like here here again in wake county they're building these giant high schools fuquay um just opened up with a I think 97 million dollar campus um and it really is almost like a community instead of a school the way it's designed
1: well i was driving through uh the other the upper portion of south carolina last weekend and interestingly enough um uh, Uh, they are putting campuses outside of several large communities or or, or small communities like Sheraw, South Carolina, where they have not only the elementary school on the same campus, but the middle school and the high school is all on the same campus. That's right. Um, Now, I guess that's a a population distribution thing more than it is anything else. But uh, is there a movement to go back to that where you have the experience of starting with roughly the same students that you finish with?
2: There is a, a movement, I think, we're practical, but as you noted, the smaller school districts in North Carolina aren't building new construction, and the um, larger districts' property values are too expensive to buy a large piece of property to put schools together, so I think when Practical, like um, Jones County, it just opened a brand new, really impressive facility where they're combining multiple grade levels on the same campus. So, when the opportunities opportunities exist, the idea of bringing students all the way through is definitely a popular one.
1: Now, we for years have had a system where you're in the first grade for a year, you're in the second grade for <laughs> a year. What about the students that halfway? Uh, belonging in the second grade when they're the first grade?
2: The model that we're, we're working under right now is it's an industrial model, right? It is a one size fits all. Every first grader should be the same. Every second grader should be the same. And frankly, we treat teachers the same way. Yeah, we need to move away from that point blank. We need to, for students that are, are able to move on faster to be able to move on faster in one subject and maybe move slower in another subject. So, the idea of students moving through at a competency based level and, and a personalized level, I think that's the next generation of education. I think it can happen here in North Carolina.
1: We're a long way from that, though.
2: Aren't we? <laughs> yes, we
1: are. That, that, that's a revolutionary change yeah. in the way that you hire teachers and classrooms are built and so forth. Our guest is Brenda Berg, who's president and CEO of Best North Carolina, an advocacy group for education. And we'll be back with more right after these messages.
3: I'm Howie Mandel. Did you know attention deficit hyperactivity disorder in adults is a real and treatable medical disorder? I know because I am one of the estimated 10 million adults in the U.S. who have ADHD. The symptoms of ADHD, inattention, hyperactivity, and impulsivity make it difficult to pay attention and focus. Be organized, complete tasks, and maintain relationships. I've been diagnosed with ADHD. In my life, I've often misplaced things and have found it difficult to sit down and read a script for work or even have a conversation. You know, the kind when you're actually listening without interrupting. It's never too late for adults to seek help for ADHD and find the right treatment plan. Get information at adultadhdisreal.com and take an ADHD self-screener. Talk to your doctor. The right treatment plan can help control your symptoms so you can stay focused and organized, get things done at home and work, and help improve relationships. Visit adultadhdisreal.com to learn more about adult ADHD. Don't let ADHD prevent you from achieving your goals. I haven't.
0: You've got your shades on, do you? So cool, so hip, so sheltered by frames of UV protection to show the world you are a force. But did you also know by wearing sunglasses you're doing your eyes a favor? That's right, sunglasses help avoid overexposure to the sun, which can produce red eyes, a feeling of grittiness, even excessive tearing. But you, oh master of the incognito, are taking care of your eyes without even knowing it. For more easy ways to keep keeping your eyes healthy, see your optometrist or visit AOA.org. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis.
1: We're back with Brenda Berg, who's the president and CEO of Best NC, a uh, nonprofit, nonpartisan coalition of business leaders who have uh, taken as their task to uh, serve as an advocate for uh, improving the public education system uh, in North Carolina. And they do a pile of research and they have uh, advocated for different programs. And this week they just launched Teach NC, which is, a, a, a uh, I guess, has its mission to find teachers. That's right. Teacher. So now, how are you going about that?
2: Well, so it's a really a three-pronged approach. First, first, we know that a lot of people want to be teachers and they just don't know how to get there. Um, there. There are two two barriers. One is the perception of teaching is really outdated. So somebody thinks in their head, I want to be a teacher, and they start talking to folks, and they say, oh, well, you know, those who can do, those who can't teach, right? That's sort of old, that old tagline so part of this campaign is really to remind people that the teaching profession is exactly what gen wires and millennials want it's challenging and interesting and every day is a different opportunity so uplifting the profession to where it belongs in terms of, of a, a viable profession and then the second barrier that we found is when you when you are interested in being a teacher no one knows where to go so creating a website which is teachnc.org people can sign up they can register they can get, they can find out licensure information, they can find every teacher prep program in the state, scholarships to get into those programs, and by this time next year, every school district will also have its own landing page, so they can, and every school district and charter school will be able to really make their case for why they're the best place to be a teacher. So it's, a, it's really lifting up the whole kind of pipeline where you, you mentioned other, other professions are recruiting into their, their fields, why would we not do the same thing for teachers?
1: I grew up in a time period, uh, this will show my age, where Appalachian State was Appalachian State Teachers College. East Carolina was East Carolina Teachers College. They have both evolved into full universities. Uh, Have they totally forgotten their roots or are they still uh, uh, turning out more teachers than say other uh, of the uh, public institutions in North Carolina or have they just gotten trapped into this thing that uh, teaching is just sort of a sideline?
2: Well, the schools of education in North Carolina are very strong. They're, they are still, whether the publics or privates, they're still producing more than half of our teaching population for the state. Um,
1: well, not wait a minute. They're only te- half now. Why? Why wouldn't it be higher percentage than that? Because. These are Native people.
2: That's right. You would think so. Well, there's about, um, I want to say about 20% that are coming in from out of state. There are no. other states that just have a surplus, and and, and of course, who wouldn't want to live in North Carolina? So we're recruiting from out of state. Um, and then I would say about 30% are coming lateral entry. So those mid-career, you know, career changers that are coming into the profession. So it doesn't mean that they're not somehow getting into the schools of education or getting some sort of lateral entry training through our schools of education, but that traditional pathway is producing a little bit more than half of the population. And and could they produce more? Yes, and I think that's that's a big part of Teach NC, is removing those barriers to entry so students can get into those pathways. If they didn't come in as an 18 year old signing up and saying they wanted to be a teacher, but if they're sitting in a chemistry class as a sophomore in college and saying, Maybe I don't want to be in a lab, maybe I want to teach chemistry. How do we get the schools of education to grab those students and pull them into the profession as well?
1: So um, let me ask this. So kids go to college and they they, they decide they're going to change the world and and be idealistic and, and as we all did, I think when we were in college, we all thought we were going to change the world. And in many cases, uh, we have made contributions. But uh, so a, a, a young lady or a young man enters the teaching profession, and then at what point in time do they leave the teaching profession, and we start losing some of our better and younger and brighter minds?
2: Well, the the research and why? Well, one. exactly. I, the the why is the important part. I think there are there there are. You lose a, a good percentage of teachers or not a bad percentage of teachers the first five years. Is, it's not as bad as people thought it was a few years ago. The research is showing it's about 25-30% of, of teachers are leaving by the end of the fifth year. And the reasons that we are hearing are, are pretty simple, and they're the same reasons that people leave other professions. They're leaving because they don't have a great principal. And they're leaving because they don't have a career path. You become a great teacher. And just like any of us, you want to do more of it. You want to have a greater impact, a bigger impact. And you don't want to have to leave the classroom to do it. So those are the two kind of main early and mid-career reasons people are leaving. And those are the two of the big issues that Best NC is working on. Great school leaders and career opportunities for teachers. Um, The other reason they're leaving is there's this sort of point around 25 years where the pension system is really pushing you out of the system. It it's it actually for for a period of time you're actually losing money every day you're teaching and there's this incentive to leave the profession and now you're you know mid to late 40s or early 50s and you can go on and have another career while while getting your benefits. So it's a it's a okay. it's a good reason.
1: That's to, always bothered me a little bit because I think the pension was set up to as a career incentive, but the truth of the matter is uh, it was pushing people out too early.
2: That's right.
1: Uh, so uh, is there any movement to change that? I mean, we can't change the promises we've made to those who have, are in the system, I don't think. I
2: Absolutely think. not. And the ben- the benefits are important. I, I, don't get me wrong. The, and the benefits that people have been promised are important. There are some interesting ideas, though, about how can we get uh, a a teacher who would otherwise leave the profession for this reason to come back in, so there's legislation this year. Again, it's just um, a pilot to see how this will work, but how could we get a teacher who has left who's a really capable uh, math teacher, have them come into a hard-to-staff school, keeping their pension, but then also coming in at the lower end of the pay scale, so combined they would be making more than if they had just stayed in the profession. So how can we incentivize some of our retirees to come back into the profession? I think the longer term conversation is how do we get some of those great teachers to just stay in the first place?
1: Well I think the whole pension plan has uh, uh, had as its uh, model uh, good good motives but uh, not only for teachers but other government officials are under the same plan and so we're losing a lot of key people in a lot of different fields Uh, and then even those who stay in earn a pension that is probably beyond what was intended if they stay in longer.
2: Well and our our beginning teachers I don't think understand the value of it either so they're not when they're considering the profession even though it's costing the state a significant amount of money the, the teachers aren't valuing it when they're considering it as a profession so how do we at least demonstrate to them that yes starting pay is $35,000 or in Wake County well over $40,000 but your benefits package is worth so much more how do we communicate that Um, and if they're not interested in that how do we give them other benefits that they are more interested in that will pull them into the profession
1: and of course there's some uh, additional advantages of teaching you get a nice break in the summer
2: it's true and uh,
1: that's uh, something that uh, most of us in the private uh, uh, field don't uh, we're not able to take off too much although rick uh martinez is producing <laughs> our program uh you know he may be an exception to that
2: well everyone needs to take a break our our teachers in north carolina i think it's an interesting number they work an average of 53 hours a week and they work 10 months a year, you multiply that out, and it's really close to the 2,080 hours that any full-time person full-time, works. Yeah, they just do yeah. it in 10 months. So in 10 months on yeah. one hand, I want to be respectful of teachers who really are working a full year and getting the full year's salary, but you're right, it is a great benefit, especially I know a lot of, of, of women and men who are grateful for that time in the summer or on, on the breaks to spend the time with their kids. It's, so that it is a lifestyle choice as well.
1: You mentioned uh, the importance of principals. I know uh, this organization, your organization, Best NC, has been uh, focusing a lot on the role of the principal of the high school, and typically most of the high schools and grammar schools, for that matter, that are doing well usually have an outstanding principal.
2: I would say always have an outstanding principal. Okay. So yeah, there's so many ideas of small schools and um, different courses and, and technology and all of these different things, but. Th- the fact of the matter is, nothing great happens without a great principal. Um, principals lead through innovation. Principals attract great teachers. Principals keep great teachers. Um, and so we are mildly obsessed with principals at Best and And partially because we, you know, we're business people, right? So we understand the value of a, of a highly skilled executive. Um, and it doesn't take a whole lot of work to see when, when teachers are leaving the profession that that's their number one reason for leaving. So we're um, we're working on a project right now to reimagine how candidates get pulled into the profession to become principals. So it's no longer self-selected, um, and North Carolina is really on the path to have having the most innovative principal recruitment and preparation program in the country.
1: One of the, the pr- things we've noticed in uh, in the private sector is that sometimes the best salesperson does not make a good sales manager. There are different skills That's involved. Right so how do you determine who will make a great principal because sometimes maybe that same principal who's outstanding there might not have been one of the better teachers
2: well so the the two factors i i look for 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 principal candidates but also for teacher leaders is they do have to have been a great teacher Particularly in the way we structure our schools now, because the principal is often the instructional leader. They're the ones who are coaching the teachers to be great teachers. So they really do have to have been a great teacher, and they have to have great interpersonal skills. So it 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 really is important to have a principal who can can do both. Um, like any organization, an executive can quote hire out some of the things where they're they're weakest. Maybe they're not great at operations or. Uh, maybe they want somebody else to to be the cheerleader to the community, but 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 those two factors of being really great at hiring people and supporting adults, but also being a great teacher, I think are are fundamentally important in a great principal. What's
1: the average age of a principal in North Carolina? Do you happen to know that?
2: I happen to know very little about I mean, the data. Are very limited on principals. No. we actually don't even have a turnover rate for principals in North Carolina. We know we have about uh, 2,700 principals. It's it's not a a, a number that's so big that we couldn't figure these things out, but there really are not any good data about principals right now.
1: That's interesting. We've got data on everything else. We
2: do, we do. We do know about you know, demographics. It's, there are more um, men and more minorities than in the teaching pool, so it's a, it's a slightly different um, look than the teaching profession. Um, but other than that, no, we don't know a whole lot about age and years of experience.
1: Brenda Berg is our guest, she is a president and CEO of Best NC, an advocacy group promoting education in North Carolina, and we, a public education in North Carolina, and we will be back with more right after these messages.
2: Well, Jason, I've got to tell you, you're pretty much everything this company is looking for in an entry-level candidate. Great. Your resume isn't quite what we're used to, but you've got a fantastic work ethic. Thank you. And I'm impressed by how you carry yourself.
0: So, should we talk about the job?
3: What? The job? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I have no way of recruiting or even meeting you. This interview didn't happen.
0: It may sound ridiculous, and that's because it kind of is. There's a huge pool of talent your company is missing out on. Meet the grads of life. Who are they? Talent worth knowing about. Young adults of unique determination and experience. An ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or even mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. Man, we really could have used him. Don't miss out on a resource many innovative companies have already discovered. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org.
2: When we get old, will you take care of me if I can't get around anymore?
0: Of course. We'll find a way. Are you going to take care of me if I can't see anymore?
2: I'll read to you every day.
0: And if one of us gets Alzheimer's disease,
3: what then?
2: Call 1 800 437 2423
0: for a free booklet on caring for your loved ones from Alzheimer's Disease Research. 1 800 437 2423. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis.
1: We're back with Brenda Berg, who's the president and CEO of Best NC. And we've uh, had Brenda on our program a number of times and she had an outstanding career as a uh, entrepreneur uh, and business person before she entered this so what uh, what lured you over to getting interested in being in a nonprofit nonpartisan coalition? Uh, Brenda what 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 was the deciding things that made you say maybe this is the way I want to finish my my career, or at least do you come to work for Curtis Media Group. <laughs> the, next, the next phase. We're, we're still hoping that's going to happen.
2: <laughs> I am a recovering entrepreneur, as you said. I loved being an entrepreneur. I loved running my company. I loved the people I worked with, um, but what I did for my passion as a CEO was I advocated for public education. It, it is the fundamental, the most important thing that I think I can do to help. Um, our community and our state move forward. I'm a, a data geek. I think that the numbers are really important. I'm obsessed with public education and access. I'm a, a first generation college goer. So that plays a big role in the fact that I, I believe every student should have those opportunities that I was given. Um, and I'm from a rural community um, and my parents had to move to an urban school system to get to give me access. So I really believe in our rural communities in North Carolina can, can do that. So. Being pulled into this um, as a, with, with half of my, my career actually being in public policy and half of my career as a CEO, I, um, I, I just couldn't miss the opportunity to, to make a difference. And I'll also say it's because it's North Carolina um, we have this incredible history in North Carolina of transforming education, whether it's having the first public university or the first state to have all-day kindergarten. Y- you name it, we do things that are are different and innovative. And I really believe North Carolina is on the cusp of doing some some big different things in education, reimagining this outdated kind of industrial model that that frankly devalues um, the, the teaching profession and and therefore. Um, limits students access. So I, I couldn't be more excited about this, this opportunity and I'm really proud to be in this role.
1: We were talking about the industrial model and of course that, that uh, right now has always been K through 12. And, uh, but I'm hearing of more and more seniors, particularly that have been ambitious and have finished most of their work and are basically finished with high school by mid year of their senior year. Some are going on to college uh, has there been any thought to saying this this part of the model is also outdated where you know there has to be twelve years of of uh, secondary education?
2: Yeah, I think there's that is probably the end of the spectrum where personalized that competency-based learning is actually happening. where We're seeing a blending between high school and early colleges and community colleges and universities where more students who are in even even tenth or eleventh grade are starting to take college courses. Um, I think North Carolina's doing a really good job in this, this space um, and I give a lot of credit to the leaders in the institutions, whether it's the community college system or um, the, the k-12 system that we haven't had a lot of the kind of the turf um, kind of battling between who gets which kids um, and really focusing on the students and making sure that they have those opportunities. So I think North Carolina is really on the, the front end of that. We'll probably have to get to a point where we make that a little bit more seamless, but I think that the students are leading us in this in this one.
1: We have had uh, people, guests on this program from numerous fields who keep talking about broadband access across the state of North Carolina. North Carolina is probably a little ahead of most states as far as broadband, but then we have pockets of areas that are without it. Uh, this is an important opportunity for students in the underprivileged areas to have access That's to right. more uh, educational matters.
2: Yeah, North Carolina, I believe, we're the very first state in the nation that has Internet connectivity in every classroom in the, in the school, in the in the state. That's incredible. And yet, because we are such a rural state, we have so many kids who are leaving the school building at the end of the day, and they're going home and they don't have access at home. So it's hard to do homework. Um, so we're, that push for broadband access I think is really important and then we're hearing of, of the parents benefiting from it right you're applying for jobs or, or working an online job um, getting access into the home I think is is an important part of, of frankly education but also the workforce
1: now there's some uh, legislation that's going to push this a little bit forward uh, is it enough or do we need to push this faster
2: i'm happy with the the legislation that's moving through right now i think we've it, have the right coalition of people pushing um pushing hard for broadband it has to be balanced with industry needs um so i'm, I'm looking forward to seeing where where they can go with it
1: now uh, most of the uh, the uh, folks who are the uh, backers of best nc uh, both financially and with their time uh, are also business leaders um, so what do they see in, in their meetings with you as the role of uh, Best NC in and meeting the business and economic trends that are happening in North Carolina and what can be done in the K-12 through sector, sector to uh, accomplish that?
2: I think um, where we've found our, our niche is um – just Dis- disrupting the status quo, for lack of a better description. That there, if not us, who? Kind of opportunities. So, 80% of our work is on the K-12 pipeline. The the way you've you've become a teacher or a principal has been the same way we've had for over 100 years, and the business community has an opportunity to come in and, and lead and talk about how important having great people in your organization is. Um, and this is all for the student benefit. So we have the unique perspective that we're not coming in and representing the adults. We are talking about how we can make organizations that are better for teaching and, and leading of schools, um, but for the benefit of students. And we, get to, we have the privilege of being able to keep that in mind in everything we do. We also find other opportunities where the status quo has just been continuing for a long time. I th- a recent um, project that we worked on was to ensure that every bright student in mathematics gets access to an honors course. Um, and We know that tens of thousands of students every year are being deprived access um, in North Carolina. A year ago, we were the first state in the nation to pass a law to ensure that if you're scoring at the top levels of your math exams, that you're automatically placed into an honors course. So. Again, finding those opportunities where the business community can lean in and really make a difference where no one else has been, been, been leading, frankly, it's a, it's, a, it's a great place for the business community to have a role. Let
1: me change the subject and ask you something else now. We've, we've been talking about teachers and principals and, and systems. Um, <clears throat> how much research is being done with the student themselves in finding out what they need and what they think? and how they would like to see things changed. Is there any work being done there? I mean, after all, they're the customers.
2: That's right. Student-led design is what I like to call it. There actually is a a Uh, lot of great work. That term again? Student-led design. So the the idea that the students are actually sort of leading the conversation. There's a great effort happening in Edgecombe County, a school of innovation, um, where they're really designing a school around kids who were really destined to end up leaving the school system altogether and and designing a model that really works for them, much more interactive and project-based. The reason I keep harping on teachers and principals is you can't have student-led design if you don't have great principals and teachers who are willing to be there to make those things happen. Um, So it has to be a partnership between, I I think like any of us, if you're an executive and you're leading your team, you don't lead them by telling them what to do, right? You lead them by by enhancing their talents and that's the same thing with, with students students coming in and and leading, but with great um, teachers and principals to make sure the work gets done.
1: Is there a parallel between the schools with the fewer discipline problems and the higher outcome of the students?
2: The discipline question is really yet to be understood completely. We don't know whether or not the reporting, the data we have are reflective of actual incidents or are reflective of what gets reported. Um, So I think uh, what we do know is that schools where um, they're focused more on preventative as opposed to punitive, that students do better in the long run. And there's some really interesting research recently that the, the, there's an inverse correlation between school resource officers and long-term student achievement. We don't know whether that's correlated to something else that we don't know about. But I think this is a, an area where we need to do better and more, more homework. Um, this, is, this is definitely an area where we have uh, major equity issues in North Carolina. and They need to be ad- addressed, but we need to be really thoughtful about it and not jump to conclusion about what's cause and what's effect.
1: Of course, the incidents of the last, uh, not only the last month or so, but also the last several years, safety is a major concern of parents when they send their children to to, uh, schools. Uh, And this is a very difficult uh, uh, problem because there's no real solution to how you keep 500 or 600 students in a a building safe. So what's being done there and how does that fit into this overall picture?
2: I think the the beauty of a public schools everywhere is that they accept kids every single day for whatever situation they're coming in from, right? They could be living in a car, they could be suffering trauma at home, um, they could be hungry, and our school systems wrap them around with support, and, and teachers in particular take the brunt of this. And a lot of our teachers are are sitting in classrooms, really acting as counselors and therapists, and and they're looking for food and they're looking for clothing. Um, and and frankly, that's not their job. Their job should be to teach. I don't I don't have my marketing person do my accounting, right? Let's let our teachers teach, and that means that we need to su- surround teachers and students. Um, with more supports. Um, Communities and Schools is a great organization that does that. They actually meet students where they are every single day and make sure that whatever resources they need are available to them. I think that kind of um, whole child approach is really what we need to, to do and it has to start from pre-K um, classrooms all the way up. We can't solve this problem when we have a, a disruptive ninth grader, right? This problem has to, to be, um, these problems have to be addressed really early on and we can't depend on our teachers to really solve every problem. They are there to teach, and let's, let's protect their, that time, and let's bring in more counselors and support services for, for students who, who frankly need that help.
1: Well, there's always this uh, thing of uh, dumping problem, your problems on somebody else. It's always a, a very convenient way to, to uh, get it off your plate. Our guest is Brenda Berg, who's the president and CEO of Best NC, and we'll be back with one final segment here on Carolina Newsmakers right after these messages.
0: I spend a lot of time in the garage. But even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. Visit SmokeyBear.com, brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent
3: wildfires. I'm not staying home tonight. I'm at school all day. If they want me to do the work, give it to me while I'm at school. This guy has me coming to work 10 hours a day. So what if I didn't finish school? That doesn't mean he can work me like a dog. Hey, man, I need a few bucks. My car's busted and I need some cash. Hello? Hello? Every decision you make has a benefit or consequence. Make the right choices today and be ready for the challenges tomorrow. This message is brought to you by the United States Air Force. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once
0: again, here's Don Curtis.
1: We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. A reminder, this program comes in two, seg- uh, two different forms. A number of stations carry a half-hour version of the program, which means there are two segments that you don't hear. If you'd like to hear those two segments, then you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com, or if you'd like to share a repeat of the broadcast with a friend, you can also find the entire broadcast, uh, which is actually 45 minutes of program content on carolinanewsmakers.com. Our guest this week is Brenda Berg. She's been with us a number of times. She's the president and CEO of Best NC, which is a nonprofit, nonpartisan coalition of business leaders who commit themselves to improving North Carolina's public education system through policy and advocacy. So, Brenda, that brings me to the fact that the General Assembly is in session. There is legislation, of course, every time around that affects education. So what are the issues that you are watching and the ones that you're advocating for and maybe even advocating again?
2: <laughs> it's been a, a, it was a quick start to the session. There were a lot of bills going through. We've, we were involved in three bills that have, have already become law. Um, and now it's um, a, a full stop. Uh, waiting for the budget to to go through. There's some pieces that are 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 going through, but um, the the ones that we've been working on, um, we've we've worked on this advanced math placement bill um, and taking that to the next level. We've been working on an economics and personal finance bill, um, ensuring that all students get a full course of economics and personal finance, um, and instead of right now, it's been part of a social studies course. Um, North Carolina, I should explain a little bit more, has four social studies requirements, which is amongst the highest number in the nation. there's there's only, there are only seven states that that have that. By pulling out one of those courses exclusively for economics and personal finance, we still have three full social studies history courses available to our students. So it was a it was a fairly easy lift in terms of we, we our students are still going to be getting a lot of great, civics and and social studies and history classes, um, but having a full course on economics and personal finance will help our students really understand financial literacy and what they're getting into as they head into college and take on college debt. So I'm excited about that. Unfortunately, that starts with the class of 2024 and my youngest is class of 2023, so I won't see a personal benefit, but I'm pretty excited about that. Um, We've also been working, as you know, we're obsessed with educators. Um, and working on um, principal preparation. We helped merge two principal preparation programs together. So together they are preparing 40% of the entire pipeline for principals in the state of North Carolina. It's sort of the the most overlooked aspect of education is we need great school leaders. I'm really excited about that work. It will all come under the principal fellows uh, program and that's been merged effective July 1. And I'm on that commission so I'm excited about that. The rest is all sitting there in the budget waiting to happen, so we'll see where that goes, but we're working on principal pay um, and creating more advanced teaching roles for teachers.
1: I haven't brought up in the previous segments of the program the T word, testing, which seems to be uh, a matter of great concern to teachers, parents, students, uh, and there doesn't seem to be a lot of uh, uh, agreement on this. Uh, so. What, uh, what what are your views on testing, and is there too much testing? Is the testing adequate? Uh, it, does the testing really find out what we want to know? Those are about uh, five or six different questions at one, <laughs> so you can just take off.
2: Well, this comes back to what we did talk about earlier, though, is do we want every single student to constantly be moved up one grade at a time, right? If we, the testing that we have is really under the assumption that every 14-year-old should get the same test and then every 15-year-old should get the same test. So it's, to me, it's less a question of do we have too many tests? I think we need to have accountability. We need to know where students are for those students' sake, but also for the system's sake. We need to know how we can get better, where our pockets of greatness are. Um, Assessments are really important, but the, the, the assessments we have are outdated, right? And so I think part of the conflict in the conversations is our technology hasn't caught up to where our heads are on this, right? If we can have a student gateway test so we know that they can add and then we don't have to keep testing them for the rest of eternity on whether they can add, um, and then test them on multiplication when they can when they know multiplication and get that out of the way, as opposed to right now, you can have a student who doesn 't know how to add, but yet we 're forced to test them on multiplication, even though we know full well that they don 't know how to add so the the testing system I think part of the tension is is isn 't so much too much or too little, but it 's been conflated when the fact of the matter is the the the, the way we um, move kids through the system is is not as modern as frankly it needs to be
1: well there's also been some concerns especially on the school systems that are sort of on the borderline when compared to other schools that uh, the teachers are then instructed to teach to the test rather than teach for the education it, does that happen or is it, that it definitely that,
2: happens where um, especially kids on the bubble, so to speak. If mm-hmm. you have students who are at the top of a three, you want to push them over to a four. And and m- many of the school leaders that I talk with say they don't mind the incentive. They don't mind that motive to, kids need to learn the content. So the content matters and and knowing what's on the test matters. Um, I think the the stress of a, a several hour test on a fourth grader is is something that is of real genuine concern. Um, And I think that we're not testing on some of the core values. We started the show talking about grit, right? So how do we also measure the other things that are important, like being able to work in a team and and being able to collaborate and having grit and tenacity? How do we measure some of those factors so that it's not just about rote memorization, but it's about skills, right? So it's it's a combination of, of many factors.
1: We've talked about all sorts of things in the school system, but we haven't talked a lot about extracurricular activities, including athletics. Uh, how, how do you feel that our school system in North Carolina uh, is handling the this issue of how to handle athletics uh, and also uh, avoiding the the possibility of putting too much emphasis on athletics?
2: That's right. The, the... and I'm a
1: big athletic fan, so but I, you know, <laughs> I, I still worry about that.
2: Well, like I, you know, I have. Uh, two student, two two children in the public school system who who um, the the whether it's athletics or extracurriculars like the arts, I think this, for many kids those efforts keep them in school. Right, yes. they're they're getting exposed to mentors and you know teams and collaboration and all those things that we all value as a as a culture. I think you're right, it can be too much. If you look at some of our highest performing football teams in the state, they're also often correlated with some of our lowest test scores in the state. So if you put too much emphasis on the extracurriculars because it makes the school look good, while you're not, I mean, our state motto to be not to seem, um, we need to really put as much emphasis on, on academics and career readiness as we are into sports and and having something fun to do on Friday nights, which I'm a big fan of as well.
1: So you're getting ready to leave uh, this program here in a few minutes, so what's at the very top of your list right now? What what are you most concerned about today?
2: Well, today I'm still obsessed with teachnc.org because we're just launching it this week, and it is the beginning of the school year. There are a lot of vacancies. so The more I can help promote what a great profession that we have and, and pulling Potential candidates into the profession. This is this is my, this is where I'm leaving today, and this is what I'll be working on for the for the next foreseeable future.
1: And your website address, if people would like to know more about Best NC, is
2: bestnc.org. You can also find lots of informa- in data at ncedfacts.org.
1: Brenda Burke, thank you so much for being with us. Our program this week has been produced by Rick Martinez, and we will have another interesting guest. I'm promised again next week on the same group of stations all across North Carolina. If you'd like to hear a repeat of the broadcast, you can go to uh, carolinanewsmakers.com and hear the entire broadcast or the segments you might have missed. Until next week, have a nice week.
0: Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com.